everyone. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Boship, and I am here with James Wester, Research Director for Worldwide Blockchain Strategies from IDC. So if you've spent more than, you know, five minutes on Twitter, especially the tech side of Twitter, you've probably heard of an NFT by now. You probably know it's called a non-fungible token, and you know that it has something to do with the blockchain but maybe not too much from there. So James is here. We're going to be discussing what NFTs are and importantly, their enterprise use case. We are live on YouTube. So if you have any questions throughout the stream, please do leave them in the live chat and we'll do our best to get to your question. I know that this is a really hot topic, so I would love to hear all of your questions. So James, thank you so much for calling in and joining us. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. So obviously, you know, the question of the hour or the question of the 30 minutes is, what is an NFT? Non-fungible token. Those are like, you know, two and two words in a prefix. I kind of know what they all mean, but when you put them together, it's, you know, can be a little mind boggling. So please take it away. It is a, it's a very strange concept. And I, I think the best way that I found to explain it is start with fungible. What's the whole idea of fungible? So a fungible commodity is anything where you can transfer like for like. And what does that mean? So a dollar bill is the same as another dollar bill. A kilowatt hour of energy is the same as any other kilowatt hour of energy. Uh, corn, oil, lots of commodities can be traded like for like. So that's the idea of fungible. So non-fungible would be the opposite of that. So anything that can't be traded like for like. So that would be things like uh, intellectual property or songs or music or you know anything that on its own is its own thing. So you can't trade it for anything else. Um, it's special. So what you do with that non-fungible item then when you tokenize it is you create a digital representation. That token is just a digital representation of that one specific non-fungible item. And the reason why you would do something like that is so you can now, once you tokenize it, and a token in the world of blockchain now is a thing that will exist immutably, on a blockchain can be bought, can be sold, can be traded. You can do all sorts of interesting things with that token. And so a non-fungible token is just now a digital representat representation on a blockchain for a specific item. That makes sense? Yes. And I think, okay. I think a lot of people, like the most famous example of an NFT recently, I mean, obviously this is, it's new in that it's you know, hot right now, but it's also not so new. And then I know that it's kind of been on your radar for a little bit, but the most, you know, hot example is someone selling an NFT at, I think Christie's for like, they made $69 million. Right. And it's kind of mind boggling to think about it at first, at first thought. Cause you think, okay, if someone is going to Christie's and they want to buy, you know, an original Picasso, sure. That makes sense. It's something that's six to $9 million. You can see it, you can touch it. You probably don't want to, but you can. And you know that this is something totally original. Picasso himself made it, he signed right. it, but what's the value in something digital where I can log online and see, I can look at the same picture that everyone else is looking at. So how do you, you know, how do you reconcile that aspects of digitization? I think, I think it's difficult for people to understand why the same thing that we're all looking at is worth $69 million and how actually one of them is totally unique, but we're all looking at it. Does right. Okay. Another great question. So, I mean, there are a couple of ways to look at it. First is, and we can get to that kind of second, which is separate the tech part, the tokenization, the digitization 
or the digital token of a thing of value and why that would matter. And then take the other side, which is why is anybody going to spend $69 million on a digital piece of art that anybody can look at? And what you have to think about is, so if you go to the Louvre in Paris and you look at the Mona Lisa and it's the only Mona Lisa and it's the most visited thing, if you can even get into the room, I mean, it's like waves upon waves of people all holding their cameras up. It's actually interesting. I mean, if they're all holding their cameras up and they're taking pictures of it and they go home and they look at it. Well, they're looking at the picture. And so they've got this picture and they send it all their friends. So it's the same thing. And we've mm -hmm. all seen the Mona Lisa. Yeah. And we can buy prints of it and I can buy a T-shirt and I can buy T-shirts that people have, you know, put silly hats on or sunglasses or whatever. <laughs> but the Mona Lisa as a thing is priceless and exists and it sits in a, a museum and we all go to see it. So why would anybody bother to go to the Louvre and see it? if they can just go online and look at it. Well, that's because there is an original, there is a thing and it is priceless. And in that, like you said, it's something that, you know, if it's Picasso, Picasso touched, he painted it, you can look at the brushstrokes or Da Vinci did that. So what you're trying to do is separate what is the original thing and who owns that and what is the value of that versus just looking at it as a picture or art or pretty thing that we all wanna look at. So the whole idea of the token in a digital world is we have all of these digital things that people can look at and copy and paste and do all of that kind of stuff, but who really owns it? And how do we actually verify that there is a real owner? And that's really strange in the digital world is real ownership of a digital commodity good asset has been difficult to prove up to this point. We've always had third parties that have had to come in, whether it's um, if you think about something that might have real value, like a domain on the internet, Mm -hmm. I mean, Coke.com has real value. It was one of the very first domains that somebody had to go out and purchase because somebody else had just sort of squatted on it. So oh, I like Coke.com. It had real value. Well, the mm -hmm. digital good, digital asset, something like that, we've always had to have somebody come along and say, you own it, you don't. This is the real thing. That's not kind of ironic pun there. The real thing with Coke didn't actually plan that. But <laughs> the idea that we now have no need for that third party to come in that we can now tokenize something and put it on a blockchain that a decentralized community can come along and say that token belongs to that account which is associated with that wallet that's really what we're talking about so again you kind of have to separate this idea of why would anybody pay for something over here set that aside because i don't know why somebody would pay 69 million dollars for a digital piece of art but i don't know why somebody would pay for a lot of art that i see right I'm an art critic but then you have over on the other side, this very real value of creating a digital token for something that now represents ownership. And importantly, that ownership now can be bought, it can be sold, it can be traded, it can be divided up, it can be all sorts of really cool things, all because we now have this non-fungible token idea and the technology behind it. And that's a great point. I think the most important thing that I we kind of want to frame this discussion around is what is the actual practical use case here, especially when it comes to the enterprise. And I, the more that I think about it, I know, and we can discuss this. I just read an article yesterday about um, IBM exploring the use of NFTs for their intellectual property patents. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But I, when I was reading the article after having chatted with you a bit, I was like, this makes total sense. And this is an actual practical use case. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what the enterprise use case is for an NFT? Because I think too, for a long time, blockchain, anything cryptocurrency related, importantly, an NFT is not cryptocurrency, but like 
they're related is something to sort of brush off and say, you know, that's what a bunch of like people on Reddit are doing, but that has no, that has no use in my, in my organization. Right. That's just for buying drugs online. That kind of a thought. Yeah. Yeah. And like meme value, but in reality, there is actual value to keeping an eye on NFTs. So can you tell us what, what is an enterprise use case and why CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, CSOs, the whole C-suite and IT should be paying attention. Excellent. Yeah, no. So if you think about if you think about things of value in an enterprise setting, there are a mm-hmm. lot of non-fungible things that have value. So what you just mentioned with IBM um, and their uh, their partnership with IPWE, which is about a patent. So patents themselves clearly have value. There are a lot of lawsuits about, hey, you've stolen my patent. Um, right. And they are original and they are non-fungible. That's the whole point of a patent. This idea is unique and original. This idea is unique and original. So what the problem has been is how do you value a patent? How do you put that patent on a balance sheet? And what do you do with that patent? And there are entire companies that are built up out of nothing except going out and buying patent portfolios of companies that um, may have patented something and then gone out of business or may have a lot of patents and they don't know what to do with that patent or companies may invent something. A new company comes along, they invent something or they think and they've got this process and it turns out that they're stepping on somebody else's patent. So how does the original patent holder enforce their rights on this other company? And so what you do is you now can tokenize those patents. You can tokenize that intellectual property. And here is a thing that has value. You can now use it. You can buy it, you can sell it, you can lease it, you can license it. You can even do interesting things like I said, you know, you can divide it up so that if you have investors who want to come in and say, you know what, that's really, that, that's something that um, it's a patent that's used in a very normal process. It's used a million times a day. And the license holder of that gets a tiny little fraction. They get a nickel every time it's used. Well, it's now a recurring revenue piece. So if you have that token and you say to um, a bunch of investors, I, I want to liquid. I mean, and, and part of this, and I think it's a very important concept is the part of this is making something that is hard to value into something now liquid that you can make money off of. Right. So if you have this patent and you now have investors who that, you know, they come along and they say, that's a really valuable patent. All right. I actually want to make that liquid. I need cash for that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your cash and you're going to get a portion of that nickel every time it's used. It's used a billion times a day. That's now a real revenue stream that you can use. So in an enterprise in an enterprise setting, what you've done is you've taken this sort of illiquid, hard to value asset. You've now turned it into something very, very real that can be turned into a revenue stream that can be turned into collateral. I mean, think about that. Right. If you're um, if you walk into any building, any one of the large buildings in Boston or New York or San Francisco, there's often a big piece of art on the wall. Sure. Um, and it could be a very valuable piece. I think there's a building that I walked into not long ago. It had this big Jackson Pollock on the wall. Well, that sits on somebody's balance sheet. Mm-hmm. It's probably worth many, many millions of dollars. Let's say that that building owner or that company wants to use that as collateral for a loan, or they want to sell it, or they want to sell pieces of it. Those are things that from the balance sheet side, from the enterprise side, has a real value. And then on the other side, you and I, we can now, let's go back to the Mona Lisa. Let's say that they want to sell that token, but they want mm-hmm. to turn it into, it's worth you know, $100 million. It's worth a billion dollars. So maybe they could separate that out into little bitty bits of tokens um, or that non-fungible token could be divided up so that you and I can now own pieces of a of artwork. And you might ask, why would anybody want to do yeah, that? That, that is thing, what I'm going to ask. The thing is, is we can then buy and sell and trade that token as well. 
So I can't probably ever buy a Jackson Pollock, but if I could buy a piece of it and it goes from $40 million today, and we all know that art appreciates in crazy ways, and that Jackson Pollock is now going to be valued at 85 million or 120 million in 10 years, well, my investment is appreciated. I didn't have to go buy the whole thing, but I could have an incremental piece of that painting. Same thing goes mm-hmm. for real estate. Same thing goes for collectible cars. There are all sorts of things that once you tokenize it, once you now create this digital representation, again, that can be bought and sold and divided and traded, you have this thing of value that there are all sorts of practical applications. And enterprises will be, going back to the patent, um, you know, they will be looking at all sorts of assets they have, again, non-fungible assets that they may not have been able to really quantify or buy or uh, liquefy in any real way, now they can do that. Yes, that makes, it makes sense. I think the piece, the ownership of a piece of something is something that you can look at and say, okay, well, what is the value in that? But when you think about, you know, if your investment's going to appreciate and you're going to, you know, double or triple, triple your money because in 10 years, because you own a piece of Jackson Pollock, Sure, that's a great financial investment. Um, even if you can't be looking at that piece of the Jackson right. Pollock all day long, you're not going to cut a little square off of the canvas. Right. No, yeah, exactly. You're <laughs> not going to cut threads. But that, I think, is what's really important here in understanding, again, going back to the idea that separate sort of the technology part of it and how we're doing it. Separate that from why would someone do it? People will do that for all sorts of reasons, whether sure. it's collectibles or or whatever. People collect baseball cards and shoes and dresses and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But the value of those things is a separate concept. And then once you tokenize them and now you can connect that token to that value, that's mm-hmm. a very separate discussion from why would anybody want to buy, again, a $69 million piece of digital art or a collectible or a patent or anything else. If there is value, the token is now the way that we're going to start measuring and buying and selling and trading it. Right. So you touched on this a little bit with, you know, the concept of ownership, but can you describe how NFTs relate to blockchain? Um, and a lot of it has to do with ownership, right? Right. So, so a blockchain is nothing more than a decentralized way of storing data that mm-hmm. is mutable. And again, decentralized, and so no, there's no one third party who owns it. And so the community itself Um, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these other blockchains, what they're actually doing now is they're ensuring that A, the blockchain persists, that it's resilient, that so long as there is a node somewhere, that all of that information that's being stored on it is forever there. It's immutable. When you're storing these blocks of data over time, it can't be changed. Nothing can be moved. Nothing can be rearranged without it being obvious to the blockchain. So again, that immutability means over time, that record will always exist. And so what that What that token then does is since it exists on that blockchain, again, it represents an immutable record of ownership over time that can be kept forever so long as that blockchain is in existence. And that's really the way that blockchain has been set up. The idea of blockchain has always just been, I mean, it's a really simple idea. It's a combination of lots of technologies we've had for a long time. But the idea being is that it provides this immutable record over time that can't be changed, can't be altered, and allows us to now look at ownership of tokens and those tokens can be cryptocurrencies or they can be non-fungible tokens or anything else. And so that's really all that that blockchain is providing. Right. So I'm wondering what the long-term evolution of this is. Is this something where in five years we're going to look at the guy who just spent $69 million on an NFT and 
Colin an idiot or is are we going to be like, wow, he was so ahead of his time. Like he was really on to something there. Um, so what, what is the long-term evolution? I mean, perhaps in the digital art space, but also in the enterprise space, is this something that's built to last? Well, so yes. I mean, the, the short answer is yes. The idea now, again, of being able to just tokenize everything so that we can now attribute value to a lot of very hard to value things will continue. And I think the perfect example, again, being that patent application, that's a great example. Um, the collectibles market, I think, is a great example. I mean, I'm not a collector of shoes, but I do know that the buying and selling of shoes is a very, very big market. One totally. of the big problems. Absolutely. And one of the big problems with that is um, the shipping, the sending and the receiving. These are not shoes that anybody is ever going to wear. These are shoes that are meant for collectors. And so those like baseball cards, same way, you know, you're not going to mm-hmm. take that, that 1958 Mickey Mantle card, stick it in the spokes of your bicycle and ride down the street. This is for something that people, you know, you keep it and that's a thing of value. So the problem with that has been the buying, the storing and the selling of those things has been a risk. So now if you can just have a token that represents it, and know that it's valid and know that it's been authorized and validated somewhere, you can do a lot of the buying and selling in the collecting world without actually having to deal with the physical good, which is the part where you have to be very, very careful. So that is going to continue. Um, The idea of patents, that is going to continue. Even digital art, as goofy as it may sound, there is a lot to the virtual world. So if you start thinking about things in terms of gaming, I now buy a skin for something in a game and I want Mm -hmm. to be able to use that. You can have somebody who can design that. A creator can design that and you can do limited numbers. You can actually then interact with a particular world where that non-fungible token, again, can be bought and sold and traded, can be used. Those are the kinds of things that you're going to start seeing non-fungible tokens for. Now, there is a very big difference between saying this is what we're going to do and the actual infrastructure around making that happen. And there's still a lot that needs to be understood about, I bought a digital piece of artwork, how am I going to display it? Well, you can display it in the virtual world. What virtual world? Well, there are lots that are now beginning to be built up. Um, Or within a game, Um, how does that actually work? I bought it now, how do I put it onto my character? Mm -hmm. Those are going to be the things that are going to happen at that user interface layer that I think still needs to be worked out. And there's a lot that needs to be understood so that it's not just for you know, the hardcore gamer or um, the specialist who actually understands blockchain or coding or any of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of opportunity, but I think that's what makes it so exciting is there's a lot of opportunity. Oh, the user interface is a challenge. Well, that challenge now represents somebody who can come along and create that easier onboarding of artwork that you can display in World of Warcraft or a skin sure. that you can use now in Destiny or all of those different things are where we're going to start seeing this persist. So will we at some point look back and say $69 million for a piece of digital artwork? Was that silly? Maybe. But does it also represent kind of a turning point where we realize there's real value here? I think so. I think that's exactly what it does. And also, I will say this, it's a really pretty cool piece of artwork. What it is cool. million dollars. I don't know, but I think it was pretty cool. Um, and it was not something that was just, you know, created overnight. You know, this is, this is years worth of work, right. artists creating something that's really kind of fascinating. So, like I said, we'll, it, it is a technology. It is a thing I think that we'll need to be paid attention to. I do think that it's something that a, a CIO, a CTO, a CMO, all of those are going to need to be paying attention to how it functions and works. But we're also still at that point where 
how it functions and works is a work in progress. Yeah, I think it's easiest often to think about applying NFTs to something that already is either, you know, not as abstract, but th that's intangible and that is or or is instead, you know, already digital. I think when I think about NFTs, it's a lot harder for me to think, OK, yeah, I'm going to dig digitize ownership of this camera that I'm filming on right now. Like that doesn't make any sense. But when you think about it, when something when it's not something that you can touch and it's something that you feel like you can lose track of like a patent, like any sort of intellectual property, that's where it starts to make a lot more sense. And that's where I think maybe people who are a little confused about NFTs, I feel like start there, start with understanding yep. the intellectual property play, and then you can start thinking about the physical piece of it. I don't know if like, you know, one day you can own a part of a car, but for right now, focus on the digital aspect that I think that's the easiest way to grasp it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it really is kind of interesting. Once you start talking through the things that are non-fungible that all enterprises have, that basically enterprises, especially when we start talking about services industries or we start talking about um, processes, we start thinking about all of these things that companies are built on that have real value um, and patents being a really, really good example of that, but have real value that maybe those companies haven't been able to access. Right. Um, and that then becomes not just the ability to say, okay, this patent is worth a certain amount of money, but now you have the ability to say, okay, not only is it worth a certain amount of money, but if I have, if, if it's recognized that tokens value is now recognized by a creditor, okay, it's not collateral. Sure. Um, if it is something that generates recurring revenue, okay, now it's a revenue stream that I can also now sell pieces of. Um, there are all sorts of different applications for that token itself. Now, once we're beginning to recognize that everything can be tokenized and it is, I mean, you know, there, there are some very interesting things uh, when you start looking at um, influence. So sure. the influence of a person online, um, that camera that you have right there may not have necessarily have value in and of itself, mm -hmm. but if you become famous and this is not that you're not already famous, but even more <laughs> famous and you can say, so okay, true. that now becomes a collectible. Okay. Yeah. This is the camera that was used. So those are the kinds of things that like you said, once you begin to start looking at things that have value for being themselves, but you don't really know exactly how you would turn that into something that you can, you know, hold in your hand or cash or anything else, that's really where you need to start looking at how NFTs change a lot of, it just changes a lot of the way that we value things and the way, again, that we buy things or sell or put them on a balance sheet. Um, and I think that's really exciting. I think that that's something that is, it's, it's, a, it's a very cool idea. It's a little trippy, but it's a very cool idea. And yeah. we're well on that way. Right. So this is um, another question for you. And this is also just a reminder to our audience. If you have any specific questions about NFTs, especially when it comes to their enterprise use case, but even if you're just, you know, NFT curious, please do leave them in the live chat and we'll get to your question. But I know that there's been, you know, some, chatter and this is especially applicable since it's earth day about you know the environmental impact of nfts and i think that's also something that is discussed when it comes to cryptocurrency so yes. can you tell us why why even that is a discussion because i think it's something that is not i don't always understand at first glance like that's something that i had to work to understand 
Okay, good question. And it is going to be something that's going to happen with NFTs. It's already something that's happening with, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But Ethereum, Bitcoin use what's called proof of work. You've got all these distributed nodes that we were talking about in blockchain. All these distributed nodes need to be synced up. Basically, you have to make sure that all of these nodes are seeing the same thing. So how do you do that? Somebody has to, you have to have some way of agreeing that this is what's going to happen when we make changes to that database, to, to all of those databases. And that's the consensus algorithm. The consensus algorithm for Bitcoin and for Ethereum is what's called proof of work. Proof of work is just basically all these computers are trying to find the answer to an algorithm. That algorithm, once they do it, it just requires compute cycles. So it's a lot of computers all running at the same time. All right. of that computer time requires energy. That energy has a carbon footprint. That's what people are talking about is there's a whole lot of energy being sure. used. And the argument is by those who are looking at it from a, from a, from an environmental standpoint, a lot of those compute cycles that don't answer that algorithm, that don't, that, that don't actually answer the riddle that gives them the ability to, um, to, to make the changes to the database or to agree on what they are, those are wasted compute cycles. So it's wasted energy. A couple of things about that. Um, first it's understandable, but that is sort of the way that it is set up. It is, um, it's not so much wasteful as it is, that's the way that the whole system is supposed to be set up. What's interesting about a lot of the arguments towards this is that one, um, whether it's again, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any of these others that use proof of work, is that the proof of work itself is measurable. So it's one of the only systems like this where we can go out and we can say, okay, we understand how many compute cycles, we understand how much energy is going to be used. Therefore, we're now going to multiply that times what we think is um, the, the energy being used and we're going to compute a, a, a carbon footprint off of that. Sure. Most of the other systems, processes, everything else that we use currently right now, they also have a carbon footprint, but we don't know what they are. We don't know when we're talking about cryptocurrencies, we don't actually know what the carbon footprint is of all the banks that are doing all the financial transactions that we currently rely on, whether that's the networks or it's the financial institutions or the card issuers or anything else. So there's really no way to do an apples to apples comparison. Secondly, when we start talking about just NFTs, we'll take that aside and we'll just start talking about NFTs, especially those that are done on Ethereum. One of the things we're beginning to see is that NFTs themselves don't necessarily have to be on Ethereum. I think Ethereum right now is somewhere between 60 to 65, 70% of the NFT market is on Ethereum, but there are other ways and there are other markets and there are other types of blockchains that can be used to store those NFTs and those tokens. And over time, as the um, sustainability argument, as it grows, or if it's not answered well enough, then you will start seeing that that will begin to shift to different types of blockchain networks that may not use proof of work, that will use some mm -hmm. other type of consensus algorithm that's not as energy um, or that doesn't use as much energy. So that's a part of this discussion too, going back to, you know, we don't know all the answers exactly on how this is going to happen. We just know that tokenizing is a better way of doing stuff. So that's really kind of a long answer to this, which is over time, we're going to start seeing um, a migration towards more energy efficient ways of doing proof of work. But also we're going to start seeing NFTs moving towards networks that are also more energy efficient. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's something I think that you don't always necessarily think about, you know, as an individual, you don't always necessarily think about how whatever you're doing, you know, online, as it were, right. is, um, is, has any sort of environmental impact. But when you think about just all of the computing power that is required, um, to do anything on the blockchain that's 
that yeah. you're going to, you're going to start racking up, you know, it's good yeah. that I'm not paying the electric bill. Exactly. And a lot of that is going to start happening as we start talking more and more about NFTs and we start talking about cryptocurrency within, and since this is a, a CIO CTO audience, as we start talking more and more about the, the corporate and institutional institutional acceptance and adoption of things like cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens and fungible tokens. We haven't even talked about that. <laughs> using fungible tokens for commodities and commodity exchanges and things like that. Those are all going to be questions that a, CTI, a CTO or a CIO is going to be responsible for at least understanding and answering those objections or questions. Why are we doing this? How are we doing this? And a lot of that, again, I think is going to start happening on the NFT side as we start migrating over to either more energy efficient ways of doing the proof of work, but also the availability of other blockchain networks that may not use proof of work, that are going to be a little bit less energy hungry. Yeah. So just to close out, my last question for you is, if you're in the C-suite, what are the kinds of questions that you can be expect you can expect to be fielding? And also what are the kinds of questions that you should be asking of your vendors? Wow. Okay. So I'll answer the first one okay. first. And the question that you will have to answer is, should I buy Bitcoin? I'm not kidding. That's like when you tell people that you actually understand cryptocurrencies and NFTs and blockchain, the first question you get is, so I've got $10,000. Should I go buy a Bitcoin or a portion of a Bitcoin? And the answer to that question and, is, and the, the question is, go talk to your financial planner. <laughs> um, but the other questions are, you are going to start seeing, especially if you're within, say, um, financial services or even healthcare, because blockchain now figures into things like vaccine passports. If you're within manufacturing or energy, the enterprise use cases and supply chain, there are a lot of use cases for this. Again, going back to talking about not non-fungible, but fungible tokens. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about that in supply chain, but non-fungible tokens as far as patent portfolios and things like that. If you're at the, the, the C-level and you're looking at technology and, and infrastructure, Understanding what this means, understanding how this now is going to start relating to very important things that your CFO is going to want to know about, your CEO, your CMO, they're going to want to know about these things. So understanding how this is beginning to develop and how it actually represents real world value in terms of assigning value to a lot of those non-fungible assets that may be on a, you know, that, that a, a, an enterprise corporation may depend upon. Um, there are a whole lot of really important questions in terms of risk, compliance, governance, security. Those are all things that you should really start paying attention to. You should start talking to your vendors now. And there are a lot of vendors who are beginning to enter this space, especially on the services side, systems integrators, IT consulting, start asking them questions about how are you now helping companies like mine go into this space? How do we mm -hmm. start looking at things like um, tokenizing our patent portfolio? How do we start going into um, this and maybe tokenizing some of the assets that we hold? How do we then turn that into something that we can, you know, liquidate, that we can um, actually realize some monies from? How do we do that? What does that mean to us in terms of tax and audit and compliance and risk? And what's interesting is a lot of the companies now, these vendors who are in this space, they have expertise in that very thing, risk and compliance and audit and tax and all that, as well mm -hmm. as the technology. So those are the questions you should really be asking is, you know, is there something that we can realize from this whole discussion that will help us in terms of process, in terms of value, in terms of cash flow, whatever, start asking those questions. Um, it's not too early. You know, it's not too early to begin 
asking those questions and begin to look at this because um, as with a lot of technologies, you know, this has been developing over a certain amount of time and then it will happen real quickly. And so um, I think the, the CIO CTO needs to be able to start answering those questions right away. Great. Well, thank you so much, James. I think there's some really valuable insights here, you know, for enterprise, enterprises, enterprise um, executives, and also just, you know, your everyday average consumer alike. I think the first step to even thinking about implementing um, NFTs in your enterprise is to understand what they are. So hopefully yeah. some value here. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. This has been fun. Thank you so much. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, please do give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. Hit the bell icon in the corner so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If we didn't get to your question and if there's an outstanding question that I perhaps didn't ask that you have, please do leave it in the comments below and I'll do my best to get back to you. And even if you just have any, you know, general experience with NFTs. If you have purchased digital art, I would love to hear your experience. I think that is very interesting. So please leave a comment for that as well. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.